from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hey, everybody. It's Mike Walsh. I'm here with you again for another edition of Talking Catholic. Thanks for joining us. Uh, ordinarily, I would apologize to you at this point for uh, hosting one of these solos because you, uh, you know that uh, if you hear my voice first, that means I have no co-host. But that's not exactly true this time. We actually have a guest co-host, one of my close frenemies, as I've uh, talked about many times on the podcast, um, my beloved uh, colleague, colleague, Donna Ottaviano Britt. Hey, Donna, how are you? I'm good, Mike. It's nice. You're still calling me a friend of me after all this time. Yes, but I'm not calling you my enemy, so that is a good sign. That's a good thing, especially when you text me in the morning and say, these are the things I need from you today. <laughs> and I simply have to reply, yes, boss man, I will get them to you. Except that, in fact, we are, in fact, colleagues of equal standing. And many, many times uh, we were do- we'll be doing things for each other. Like when I got an email from you just a few hours ago saying, mm-hmm. Mike, here's the email I want you to send out for me to my email distribution list on Constant Contact. So Exactly. I, I would say we do a good job of uh, bossing each other around. Exactly. So, um, so actually, we, you know, the, the topic of today is a project that, once again, you and I are sadly working together on. Uh, being forced to, sadly, it's a great project. Sadly, that you and I are the ones leading it. Um, that uh, so it's and it's another thing for the uh, spiritual being of of the diocese. So um, we're creating a virtual diocesan Lenten retreat. And uh, how did we come to this decision to go and do this, Donna? So uh, as we so we met in early January uh, to plan out the first part of the year for the diocese. And we knew Lent would be very important. And Lent this year is quite a bit different than last year. But we know that uh, a lot of folks have not returned back to physical parish life. So there's still a lot of virtual going on. So we thought, okay, we are going to do a Lenten retreat for the diocese, but also in an effort to supplement the efforts of what the uh, all the parishes are doing so that parishes don't feel compelled that they absolutely have to do everything. So the diocese can kind of step into that space so they don't feel that responsible. So we thought, okay, let's do a three night Lenten retreat. And I was very blessed to find a retreat leader for this, for this event. So I'm excited. Yeah, you were. And actually, I, I know how excited you were because we would we would hear about the, one of our retreat leaders uh, with some regularity because you were putting together this thing called the Convocation of Catholic Leaders, the Joy of the Gospel in South Jersey. Quite the mouthful, I might add. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a book that was associated with it written by Chris Lowney. And all of the participants were ordered to read it. And there were like 800 participants. And to the best of my knowledge, only one person did not actually read the book. I can um, name that person. Yes, it's, it's, his name is ends with Walsh. Anyway, yes, it does. The, um, the uh, but but you would talk about the stories specific to Father Chris Walsh um, that was uh, was written about in uh, Chris Lowney's book, and um, you know just that just before we bring in our guests, you know, can you give us some of you the background as to how you found that book and what it, what about what you read about Father Chris Walsh was made you want it to be part of the convocation? So I think if you look at what's in Chris's book, so it was a, through a number of connections that I was led to the book. And the title of Chris Lanny's book is Everyone Leads because everyone does. And so I, it was recommended to me that I read that book. And if you read it, Chris literally traveled the globe to meet the people, you know, and he's very devoted to the Catholic church and her health and well-being and her need for change and her need for leadership. 
And so I, I read the book and I spoke to Chris, uh, but it was in this book where so many ideas from around the globe, he documented the way that people, clergy, lay people, consecrated religious, saw a need, met the need. And that's really what we're called to do. And if you're paying attention to the joy of the gospel, you know, the Pope Francis wrote, he wants us to go out, not inward. He wants us to reach out and to take care of people, to take care of each other. So really that's what a lot of Chris's book was about. And Father Chris Walsh, uh, right over the bridge in Philadelphia at St. Raymond of Penafort is actually early on in the book. And so that's really the connection. So read the book, talked to Chris Lowney, read the section on Father Chris and Father Chris actually came uh, to the convocation. He was part of a leadership workshop for our, for our pastors at the convocation. So this is kind of nice, all these connection points now as we head for the retreat. Yeah, it is nice. And, and, and before we bring in our guests, I'll just mention one other thing, which is uh, this is something that we, we weren't just creating the diocesan Lenten retreat. We also created a nine-day virtual novena uh, to go along with it. Our youth and young adults have created a, a reflection, a daily reflection on Wednesdays that they put out on social media. And you were even able to convince or coerce our dear bishop into putting out uh, <laughs> Lenten reflections every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., pre-recorded, of course, but 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 they're out there for for, for him to sort of give a presentation uh, or a reflection rather on the upcoming um, uh, readings for that week. Yeah, and they're actually being uh, very very well received because there's the spiritual practice of preparing for mass, not just kind of getting there and like sliding into the pew, you know. Or if you're still virtual, it's kind of just kind of showing up and clicking on the. Uh, however it is you're going to participate in mass virtually but really we should immerse ourselves in what the readings are for the weekend so as god speaks into us at mass what do we take from it so bishop has really been very helpful in terms of his reflections and helping sort of build this spiritual practice throughout lent so they're really wonderful too so we put a number of things together that were diverse enough meaningful enough enough spiritual food for lent to feed the entire catholic community of south jersey <laughs> i like it I'm very happy. I'm very excited about it. I've seen some of the, the stuff we've already put together and it, mm -hmm. it looks really good. So even if you're not in the Diocese of Camden, I encourage you to check out our Facebook, our YouTube, our Twitter, all uh, at Camden Diocese, even, and including our Instagram, as a matter of fact. Uh, we put a lot of the stuff up on Instagram, too. So uh, with that being said, uh, I think we've kept our guests waiting long enough. So Donna, would you be so kind as to, uh, to introduce our diocesan retreat leaders? Yes. So I'm very excited to introduce... Father Chris Walsh, who is the pastor of St. Raymond of Penafort Parish in Philadelphia, and the pastoral associate from the same parish, Rashara Kraheski, who actually are going to bring us a very dynamic, holy, practical retreat the week before Holy Week. So I'm really excited to introduce you. So welcome, Father Chris and Rashara. Thank you so much, Donna. It's a great joy to be with you today. So now we gave you quite the buildup uh, for all of this. Do you, do, you, do you expect to be able to, <laughs> to, to make it all happen? Lower your expectations and you will not be disappointed. <laughs> uh, it's a great joy. You know, that, that book, uh, Chris Lowney, you know, had spent some time as a Jesuit uh, seminarian before he entered, uh, I believe it was General Electric, and then got involved in corporate consulting. Um, and and it, so he brings a knowledge of the church and a love for the church, but as well as, you know, what makes for good leadership. And um, 
a friend of mine recommended that he sit down and talk with me and, and, and just had a wonderful, delightful thing. He, you know, we, we, we spent some time in the same uh, bars in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, uh, Irish bars. Um, and uh, so we, we had a lot to, to join on as well as our love for the church. And, and as Donna said, what he put together in that book really is not, you know, so many of the books today written about what the future of the church looks like can be somewhat depressing. Uh, Chris really highlights just really grassroots things that are happening and this idea that everyone leads. You, you might not be a leader in your diocese, but maybe you're a leader in your parish. Maybe you're not uh, on the parish council, but it doesn't mean you can't have a big impact in your mother's group or in your men's Bible study, right? The idea that if each of us find the place where we can lead, we can have a tremendous impact on the life of the church. And that's basically what God has allowed me to do here at St. Raymond's. And Rashara, I mean, you, you've become a, you're a lay leader at your, at your parish, you know, what, what kind of brought you to that? You know, what, what, what made you uh, want to be with like one of us, uh, these, these Catholic uh, lay folks? Yeah. Um, I would say that I, I became a Catholic as an adult. And so I'm a, an adult convert. I was uh, somebody who was always in love with church and churchy things and churchy stuff. So when I became a Catholic, I was really uh, sensing that um, a unique love for the Lord and passion for sharing Christ meant that I was supposed to do something somewhere. And so I ended up in pro-life for a little while, and I worked uh, working one-on-one with women in crisis pregnancies. And then somebody sent me a link for St. Raymond Parish, and they said, this might be some place that you're just interested in knowing about, because I was relatively new uh, to Catholicism, and I had certainly never met a single black Catholic. So um, it was just so exciting and interesting to see this parish that was vibrant and alive and just gorgeous in every single way. And so I ended up coming to mass here and I started worshiping and participating in different things. And then an opportunity arose and then I, and I discerned and prayed and I thought maybe this might be a way for me to be what God has called me to be as a Catholic adult. And it's just been so amazing and so life-giving and just the best ride. Yeah, I, I love to hear that. I think that's uh, I think that's the kind of thing that a lot of Catholics don't hear enough of, uh, seeing that the, hearing about the joy and, and the uni- uniqueness of our parishes. So, Father Chris, I mean, you were part of the book because you've had so you're in a, a somewhat unique parish and uh, you've handled it in a unique manner. Can you give us a little background about your parish? Sure. The parish was founded the day of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. So we kind of, we hit a wall just as we were starting. They gathered in a, in a farm, uh, a barn, the Nolan barn, uh, that morning and had all these great ideas. We're in the northwest corner of Philadelphia. People were starting to build homes up this area. Folks who once lived in Philadelphia might know it as the neighborhood where uh, Temple Stadium used to be. So they were, they were building homes and they gathered for mass. And I'm told that there were great excitement. And then they went home from church and Pearl Harbor happened. And so pretty much nothing could happen for five, six years. They continued to meet in a barn, not an old barn. It was a barn during the week and they moved the animals out on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And they, they sat on bales of hay. We've got the pictures. It's unbelievable. Wow. Uh, and, and that forged an amazing spirit amongst the folks. And I've been blessed to meet many people who were around in those days. They built the church, opened up in 1948, and we were never a huge parish. Uh, the neighborhood was mostly Jewish, along with some Italian and Irish immigrants. And it kind of remained that way through the 50s and the late 60s. 
uh, with changing demographics and African-American folks moving from North Philadelphia and Germantown, you know, up to better neighborhoods, quote unquote, more opportunities for their kids. Um, that also sadly brought white flight. And so many of the white folks who lived in the neighborhood from probably about 1967 to 1974, there was almost just a, a total switch from being a, a white neighborhood to being a, almost a, a majority black neighborhood. And the parish remained. And, uh, you, you know, pastors made their effort to, to welcome kids. The Sisters of Mercy were in the school, did a phenomenal job of not just welcoming, but integrating and uh, hiring black teachers and black staff so that it really was a place that quickly became known as like, we're, we're welcome here. My predecessor arrived in, in the late, late 80s uh, and had served in black parishes before and brought with them just a tremendous sense of uh, hospitality. And so that's when gospel music sort of began integrated into the liturgy and, and a tremendous sense of ownership uh, that it was the people's parish. And so he retired a, a, after very ably serving us 23 years, I think it was. And I arrived. I had been in high school for a while. I'd been out of parish work. I had never worked as a priest in, in the Black community. Uh, so I had a lot to learn. And there were people very willing to, to teach me. But, but one of the things I noticed when I got here was uh, there were certainly some young children. And there were lots of older people. But we were missing everyone in their 30s and 40s. There were a smattering of people. Um, but up the street from us was a, was a megachurch, uh, Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church. And I was just told by people, oh, yeah, well, they used to go here, but they're at Enon. Oh, they're at Enon. Oh, they're at Enon. Now, it turns out that not everyone that I was told was at Enon was at Enon. Many people were at home on their couch on Sunday mornings. But I began studying what I never studied before, which was, you know, what is the draw to these evangelical churches? And obviously, the type of preaching people were looking for that was relevant to their life Music that was excellent, uh, didn't necessarily have to be gospel music, but it needed to be excellent. Um, and a sense of purpose and welcome. So engaged in care for the poor, you know, outside of the parish, not just a parish that was serving itself, but a parish that was connecting with other people and giving a greater sense of purpose. And, and then opportunities for, for formation, Bible study, small groups, and those types of things. So uh, as anyone, uh, any priest who's listening knows, you're not really given a great uh, map for when you arrive at a parish, uh, but I, I was grasping at straws. Certainly tried a lot of things that failed really quick, but we tried them and other things stuck. And so little by little folks started coming back or finding us like Rashara uh, and, and we just continue to seek to improve and, and, and build upon it. And, and we've weathered, you know, really difficult years in the life of the church with the number of grand jury reports and scandals mm -hmm. And, and, and thankfully, you know, people stay engaged, we're, we're vibrant, we're alive, and seeking to continue to be the people God uh, needs us to be here in this corner of the church. That's wonderful. I, I know that the reason why, um, why Donna wanted you to participate in the, the convocation originally, that was two years ago now, um, was specifically because of that good news story. And, I, you know, that, and we knew that it was something that our pastors needed to, to hear, but Donna also made a point of making sure that our lay leaders heard that story too, that, that the status quo wasn't necessarily the way we were going to be able to run our, our parishes in the future. You know, Rashar, I'm, I'm curious um, in your role, um, how have you been able to assist the, assist the parish and, and moving forward and maintaining what, it, what maintaining what it has, but also moving forward into to new things? 
Yeah, I think I would say uh, one of my uh, primary responsibilities and, and I hope significant contributions is just supporting and extending the work of smaller group and one-on-one discipling. Uh, we know that more and more when we look at um, the way that people use technology and, and the way that people connect with even brands, people are looking for a personal connection. I actually ordered some makeup recently and they sent me a confirmation message and it was written from a person with a name that said, my name is Nadia. Let me know how your concealer works. And I thought, my goodness, you know, and it was probably a bot, but, but, but there is this sense of, of needing to be seen um, and, and, and um, cherished as an individual. And I think some of that um, is primarily what I spend my time doing a lot of focusing on building relationships with individuals in the parish, you know, those who've been here for generations and, and those who are coming in who are seekers, folks who are, you know, who are just Protestant last week and now are just trying to find their footing in the Catholic church. And so one of my great joys has really been accompanying uh, folks who are, are entering the church. Um, I entered uh, about a decade ago. And so it's fresh for me. And I have such passion and zeal um, for letting folks know that you have a place in the parish community, in the Catholic church, exactly as you are with your unique gifts, with your unique style, um, there is a place for you here. And so that's been primarily what the ways that I kind of support and extend that particular vision um, of the pastor and of the parish leadership. Can I ask a follow-up question, Mike, before you just lead this whole thing? You are the co-host. You can ask whatever you right, like. So this is why I'm interjecting here, because I would like to ask a question of Rashara's around. So you talked about how you hadn't met other Black Catholics before. Yes. Hearing what you're saying, because we talk about gifts and you bring that uniqueness, yet there are many people who come to Catholic parishes who don't feel that, and then they leave. Yeah. So you, you talk a lot about um, this whole idea of hospitality and Father Chris does too. Can you talk about what that's really like? Yeah. So because we have a lot of diverse parishes, um, you know, across the diocese, or we have parishes that are primarily um, white parishes or small pockets of African-Americans living in them. Like how, what would welcoming really be like for them? Like outreach and welcoming. What does that look like for us? Yeah, so I'll start with the simple one, uh, basic hospitality. One of the things that I noticed when I came to St. Raymond, before I was even working here, is when I walked through the door, there was someone standing there who said, good morning and welcome. I'm happy you're here. Let me know if you need something. I never experienced that in any of the Catholic churches I worshiped in. I worshiped in one parish for two years, and I didn't know where the bathroom was because no one ever made eye contact with me, and I couldn't figure out who to ask. And so I, and, but I still went, I, I love the Lord. So I was going to go, but there are many people who won't go, right. Who won't continue to go. So I think on a very basic level, just recognizing that another human being, you know, who's created in the image and likeness of God is before you and greet them, make eye contact and welcome them, introduce yourself. So at a very basic level. And I think in terms of the outreach, um, we have many different ways of capturing the information of people who are interested in our parish community. So you know, when somebody writes their name on a welcome board, we had um, prior to COVID, we had like a sign-in book in the back of the church. If you wanted to sign your name um, and let us know that you wanted to be called or contacted, you would be contacted by myself or Father Chris and welcomed. Um, if you posted something on Facebook or if you sent us a message that way, we would respond and give you an opportunity to have a conversation with a real person and not just get like a pamphlet sent to you. 
Um, so just ordinary and simple things and just making sure that we're attentive to it, that we recognize that each person who approaches us um, is someone that we want to engage and someone who um, we're going to share the peace and light of Christ with. So. Thank you. Yeah. I you know that. So, so Donna, actually that, that kind of begs the question of, uh, so we, we had father Chris at the, at the convocation for this very reason. Um, and you met with all of the pastors in, in South Jersey you met with all the lay delegates. Did you get the impression that, um, that our laity was open to what they were hearing? So I think if, if I could speak about the way, you know, 700 plus people left the convocation after three and a half days, it was like they were, it was the, we jettisoned them out of the convocation. They were so excited about all of their experiences over three and a half days, right? They had 45 workshops, five keynote speakers, they had a chance to meet each other and network. So I think there was great energy around, we're going to leave here and do things differently. And I would say some parishes, out of the gate, they had some very good plans and they were executing against those, like, and all the way with some tremendous momentum actually leading up until the beginning of COVID a year later, you know, but others actually struggle in the space of what really should we be doing? You know, that I, I will comment here that there was a lot, there were a lot of teams that were like, okay, we're going to redesign the bulletin. Well, even the people in the pews are not really reading the bulletin. You know, there's so much more that's here. Although I do say it, this is a series of small steps that we will take you know, a parish that moves from maintenance to mission, that we can't always do the, we can no longer do the things that we have always done, you know, and that was part of Father Chris coming to share his story of being in St. Raymond's with all the pastors, because it's a lot of work, right, for a pastor feeling compelled, you have to manage everything and be responsible for it and help the parish to be successful and grow the parish and make sure that there's enough money to pay for all the things that the parish needs, but I think there's also Father Chris, I mean, everything that Chris Lowney wrote about you in the book and what I know of your story is, is you called the lady forward to help you. Like you even said it here earlier, like, okay, I wasn't quite sure I hadn't actually worked in a parish like this before. And there were so many generous people that were willing to help you. So can you kind of speak to that? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I've got this, uh, you know, bull in the china shop personality that, that makes it seem like I can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't have to I think Richard agrees. <laughs> <laughs> but but the reality is that you know I need lots of help. And it takes a little while when you arrive at a parish to figure out, you know, because there's lots of people who are willing to volunteer, but they, they can't always deliver on, on mm -hmm. what they're offering. So they're well intentioned. And so we just have to figure out where they are. So one of the things that we've done a few times in the parish is Sherry Waddell's um, gift-based inventory. And it was just so freeing to realize, you know, there, it's, there was someone who had been working as a catechist for years who like scored a zero as a teacher of the faith, but, but she was like super high on hospitality. And so we just kind of repurposed the woman and she was so joy filled because we were placing her where God wanted to use her gifts, uh, you know? And, and so I, I think it's the humility of the pastor who, who's willing to say, you know, once you craft a vision, okay, who can help me do this? Um, I'm not a detail-oriented person at all. And so when contracts come into me, I don't even bother reading them because I don't know what I'm looking at. But our business manager looks at them and two members of the parish, one who is involved in you know, uh, construction development and the other who's a lawyer for a school district who does contracts, they read them. And I trust the two of them and they do it. 
uh, we're having some issues with our sound on our broadcast uh, for, for live streaming for mass. I, I mean, I kind of figure stuff out here and there, but not really. But there's a guy in the parish who like knows a lot about this. And so he's going to step in and help Rashar and I, who are like watching YouTube videos at 11 o'clock, trying to figure out what squelches and what these buttons <laughs> are and this kind of stuff. Right. I, I don't, I don't understand this, but God puts people here who do. Uh, when Rashar had uh, talked about being welcomed pre-COVID we have, and, and hopefully post-COVID, we have a wonderful guy, James Collins, who people just laugh when they come because James is standing there dressed to the nines, standing in the lobby. Welcome to St. Raymond's. We're glad you're here. And one Sunday, I was outside doing something to park and he came in and he went, hey, you, Father Chris, welcome to St. Raymond's. <laughs> I said, welcome to St. Raymond's. I said, I'm the pastor. He goes, well, you deserve to be welcome too. And I was like, exactly, exactly. And so I think finding, helping people find the gift that they have and, and placing it at, at service of others. When I'm at my best, it, it, it's what I do in, in all the areas. And so as Rashar launches, you know, a, a digital campus team, like we're relying on people who professionally are doing this kind of stuff. Like they do this every day. I don't. And so we're, we're letting them use the gifts that they have for the church so that they have a greater sense of ownership and, and, and buy-in. So I have you know, a question I, I want to ask here. I know, Mike, you want to ask questions? You have to wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> I am happy to take a back seat. Not a problem. Just hold that thought, Mike, because this is a really important question. And I think in parishes, we really do struggle with this, this whole idea of giftedness, right? Literally, the church has everything she needs to thrive and to grow, right? God has put everybody in the pews. They have something to offer, right? Like what you're talking about, like your business manager and your person who's in construction and can read the contracts and somebody can help you figure out what to do with what I never heard of, which is squelch. Um, There are people sitting in our pews. So I think we struggle there. So the statistic is seven to 9% of parishioners are the ones that do 80% of the work that happens in a parish. How do we help priests of the parish, leadership teams of the parish, to call those people forward who, I don't want to be a lecturer, I don't want to be a Eucharistic minister, I don't want to work the food pantry, yet I have something the church needs that I could give to my church that I would love to do. It's kind of like you're, the, yeah. you worked on with the marketing student that's in your parish to kind of come up with your... your um, the logo we'll talk about during the retreat. Yeah, so I think, how do we... How do we think yeah. about forward people and their giftedness? Just in case uh, Mike and, and other audio people are, are like puzzled what I'm talking about with squelch. I don't even know what squelch <laughs> is. It's like something someone said there was too much squelch. I, I don't even know what it, I don't even know that it, it's a real word, right? But that's why I need someone else. Uh, I think one of the things that Rishara, we, we're redesigning our, our website right now. And, um, and the website is all designed around not what parishioners need but what does someone who shows up who doesn't have a church, mm-hmm. right? So that's a, it's a different purview mm-hmm. because our parishioners will find a way to get the information they need. They know us, they know who to talk to. We need to reach the people who post COVID are like, you know what? I need a community. Um, I, I need a sense of belonging. I've lost that. Or my church is not coming back from COVID. You know, I'm looking for something. I've heard about St. Raymond's. We were, as we were having the meeting with, again, some parishioners who were designing the website, um, we, we were do, creating a tab where, how can I serve? And all the opportunities in the parish to serve. And then Rashar at the end said, well, we need to test have one that says, 
I don't see it here, but I have an idea. So creating an openness in the parish where something that we haven't even envisioned. And my thought for that is this, we have a girl who's a senior in high school who loves to write poetry. And I'm not even sure how it started, but she writes a poem every other month that gets photocopied and sent with all of the aid for friends meals that get delivered to the homebound. And so, you know, these 60, 70, 80 year olds are receiving an original poem written by a high school senior and they're beautiful and they're hope filled. And she finds this neat graphics that go with it. That's that kid's thing, you know? And, and I just think that now the, the air at St. Raymond's is if you got something and you want to run with it, great. So a couple of years ago, sometimes they're big things. A guy came to me and said, look, there's this refugee crisis in Syria. We as a church have to welcome refugees. And, you know, a year later, you know, we got refugees, um, you know, and, and I think it's just an openness as people see that happening. I think that's when they step out of the pews. None of us like to volunteer and be told, no, we don't need your help. Um, and so if that's the experience, if that's the culture in the parish, I yield to Rashara on, on what she thinks, how it happens here. Thank Father Chris, and not to be too uh, congratulatory or, or laudatory. I think you do have a great um, ability to call forth gifts from people. And, and one of the things that, um, that I've learned from you actually recently is I'm trying to um, get some of the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings and, and people who, are, who have young children, for example, and they feel like they're really spent. Um, I, I pose this question often, you know, what kind of person did you need to have in your church community when you were five, six, seven, 10, 25, and try to be that person. And, and for some people that looks like, you know, maybe sometimes you're a volunteer to assist with children's liturgy or, or to assist as a catechist or to help clean up food. But I think as, you know, as Christians, we all have a sense of, of, um, of knowing that we we're accountable to a community. Many of us have had, you know, been privileged to have people who are there for us, teachers and coaches. And it's a question that I've been in, inviting ladies in my small group and other places to really think about, right? Because you, you may not want to be a lector, right? You may, you may be shy. You may not feel called to do some of these other things, but certainly you can try and be um, a person for someone else, right? To be, to put yourself at the service of someone else. And so it's, it's one of the, the ways that I've tried to help people explore how they might do that in a concrete and manageable way. Cause you'll always get the, I'm so busy, Rashara. I've got all this stuff going. So now, you know, the, um, what I wanted to say earlier, but, but I'm glad that uh, Donna jumped in on that, was that, uh, you know, as someone who was at the convocation and has spent a lot of time talking to pastors and, and lay leaders uh, since the convocation, I do think that that message got through. I've been in a number of meetings now where, where our bishop and our vicar general has been encouraging, imploring dictating that um, that some of their pastors and lay leaders really need to be looking for that talent that's in it's in the parish. And I'll even say I may not have read the book because uh, I just refused to, but I picked up on all the everything Don has been talking about for the last two years, which was exactly I'd, I'd say the same thing to all of my colleagues uh, that are doing communications in all of the parishes. I said, you have so much talent in your pews. Go make them resources to you. Uh, and something that Father Chris said earlier, you can try new things and fail. You know, a, a lot of the stuff we do out of my department, 
I create knowing that some of it's not going to work. It drives some of my staff insane because they'll be like, Mike, there's no chance this is going to work. I know, but it might. So let's give it a whirl. I promise I won't waste our money and I promise I won't waste our time. Well, sometimes I might waste our time, but I'm going to try something. And I, and that was something I learned from a, from a seminar I went to with uh, the Bishop Barron was talking about how word on fire was started. He said they didn't really have much of a plan, but they had an idea of what they wanted to do. And they just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and finding funding for it until it kind of took off. And it took, it took years for it to turn into the, 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 you know, monolith that it is now. But um, but back in the day, it was just something small he was working on in Chicago. So, you know, these everything starts small, but you got to at least at least try. Now, I, I don't want to give our our retreat short shrift because the, the three of you actually spent uh, a great deal of time on it. And uh, we've recorded it's all pre-recorded. We've recorded about half of it at this point. Um, uh, we'll be recording the, the music aspects of it uh, shortly. Where we're, for anyone who's wondering, we're actually recording this episode on Wednesday the 10th, and our retreat is uh, March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at 7 p.m. It can be found on all of our social media platforms. You can find it on Twitter, and uh, you won't be able to find it on Instagram, but you can find it on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, all at Camden Diocese. Um, but Donna, you know, talking about the retreat specifically, you know, when you when we were putting this together, what made you want to bring Father Chris in? And I, primarily, I think I thought of um, Father Chris because we thought it would be nice, actually, if the um, Catholic community of South Jersey could have a little bit of a different voice, maybe one that's not with us. And so someone from outside the diocese, just for a different voice, right? The way different priests can sometimes rotate through parishes, et cetera. But also I knew, um, because I actually know a number of people, because I'm Philly born and raised. So, Richard, the way you're from New Jersey, I'm from Philadelphia. Um, so I actually know a number of people that go to St. Raymond's. And so knowing Father Chris, knowing what you've done at St. Raymond's and looking at all of that openness, uh, I have been exposed to a little bit of your uh, preaching. So I thought, geez, that would be really, really nice for our folks to be able to hear what you would share with them, you know, while we're, you know, in the desert of Lent and this retreat will take place the week before Holy Week. And then really in my conversation with Father Chris, he said, I really think my uh, pastoral associate would add to this for Shara. And I was like, that's a fabulous idea. So there was just kind of this, I reached out to Father Chris, Father Chris had the idea to bring Rashara into it. And I think the people of Camden Diocese and beyond are going to love it. So I'm very excited about it. So, so Father Chris, what are the themes for, uh, it's three nights, what are the themes for the, uh, the retreat this year? Yeah, and it's, it's a great joy, I know, for Rashara to return to her native state, although she's <laughs> from the, the northern end. And uh, I went to St. Charles Seminary with a number of really great guys who, who serve in the Diocese of Camden. And uh, we filmed the retreat in the cathedral, and it was great being back there. I hadn't been there in a long time since we're nations of, of some friends. Uh, because it's a Lenten retreat, we went with the touchstone for Lent, which was the experience of having ashes sprinkled on your heads this year. Uh, but the words that were spoken, uh, turn away from sin, be faithful to the gospel, or you know, realize you are dust and unto dust you shall return. So our first night, we're looking at that first part of, okay, I'll turn away from sin, but how? Right? So, as we'll say at the retreat, so often my brother priest and I are quick to say, you know, repent from your sin, but we, we don't ever slow down and explain to folks how to do it. And then the second night, the second part of the, of the uh, encouragement, be faithful to the gospel. 
okay, okay, how do I do that? How do I live as a Christian? And Rishar and I will share uh, how we're trying to lead our parish through this pandemic experience, uh, a, a rally cry of, of forward in Christ, uh, and, and how we think that applies to all the folks of South Jersey as well. And then finally, you know, we're preparing for Easter where we renew our baptismal promises, where we became a member of the church. And so asking that question, okay, I'll come back to church, but why? Because the reality is, as, as, as Donna and Mike, you probably both know, and Rashar and I deal with every day, this pandemic, people have fallen out of the habit of not just worship, but even being connected to the church. And so some people are asking, you know, my life's not that different without mass. My life's not different without being connected to my church. Maybe I don't need it after all. And, and that's a tragedy because they do need it and we need them if we're gonna be the church. And so there are the themes we're gonna look at complemented with amazing music from folks in, in your own diocese and uh, in a beautiful setting. So I'm hopeful that it'll be a, a touchstone of grace for, for many people. I mean, that's I think Don and I will uh, will agree with that. We're actually looking forward to doing a great job. What I've seen so far has been absolutely uh, absolutely beautiful. I'm curious, Rashara, when you were thinking about the retreat and what you wanted to focus on, you know, were there were there any sort of themes that were really popping up in your head that you that you wanted to make sure you included? Yeah, I think um, one of the challenges that I face in my pastoral work and serving youth and and, and adults as well, is that nowadays it seems like Christians in the wider world just have lost contact with the, the idea that sin is a reality and that sin is a real thing, right? And, and it is because of sin that Jesus came to, to save us and to free us. And so um, for me, it was a great joy and a great privilege to, to think and to put before the folks in Camden and elsewhere, this um, reality, right? That sin distorts our humanity, right? It, it disconnects us from the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us. And, and so just thinking about how to, to bring that forward in a way that was hopeful, um, did not leave people feeling condemned, right? Because it's difficult when you know that you're, you're challenged with bad behaviors or bad habits. Um, sometimes it's easier to go, okay, you know what, whatever. Um, I'm a lost cause. And I, and I think, um, the, the part that I was hoping for was to, to bring forward the material in a way that was hope-filled and concrete and practical and not so heady and so theologically weighty that you couldn't make sense of it, right? Because when, you know, you're a mom going about living your life or you're a student or you're a working person, you need to know, how can I turn away from sin? How can I live the way that God wants me to live? And you just need some things that you can run with um, and not like a huge tome. And so th those were just some of the things that, that I was thinking about as you we were preparing for the retreat. Yeah, I, I, uh, having seen what was recorded already, I, I definitely think those themes come out. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what kind of feedback the, uh, the people are, are feeling. You know, if I, I'm curious, uh, uh, for either one of you, this is for, uh, this question, um, have you done many virtual retreats before? Or was this sort of, a, as everything else has gone on with COVID time, sort of new territory for you? Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the Diocese of Camden has certainly raised the bar uh, <laughs> as far as the quality of what you are producing for the people of South Jersey uh, with, with, with the phenomenal lighting and, and um, you know, cameras and multiple shots and angles and, and things. Most of the uh, Latin retreats, and we've done a number of things for our own parish. Um, I did some things for the Diocese of Trenton, your neighbors to the north, and... Uh, 
uh, actually just earlier today was doing something for the Diocese of Wilmington, but they were all just basically people gathered on Zoom, either Zoom webinar uh, or, or uh, just regular Zoom. Uh, so what you guys are doing is certainly uh, raising the bar and, and I'm excited to see what this, uh, this turns out to be. Well, that's, that's actually uh, very nice to hear. We, we do, I will admit that in the Diocese of Camden, we, we actually work very hard to make sure that all of our stuff looks, uh, looks good and sounds good. Uh, our philosophy is, you know, there are, you know, Zooms are great, uh, but they, they can only bring so much. Um, so if we have the ability to create something that I, I think that will resonate with people, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, we, we know we're really trying to tug at people's heartstrings soul strings, heart strings, whatever. We're trying to reach them deeply. And sometimes, you know, if you're looking on a Zoom webcam, it's, I mean, that's how we're recording this interview right now. That's pretty much the limit of what I like to do with, with Zoom. It's good for conversation. I've done a couple of webinars on them, um, but I find them rather limiting. So in this case, we knew, you know, there's a lot of prayer to it. There are reflections. There's, there's a number of spiritual elements to the retreat. So there'll be opportunities for people to pray. But we just wanted to make sure that they were able to focus in on, you know, Father Chris, your reflections and, and Rashara, your reflections and the music. We, um, we've been very pleased in the Diocese of Camden that we have outstanding musicians. As a matter of fact, last year, uh, famously last year, uh, when the bishop uh, chose to do live streams from the cathedral every, every uh, Sunday, which was not something that was standard practice. Our bishop is a firm believer in going out to the parishes to celebrate um, masses on the weekends. Um, so he doesn't do like a regular cathedral mass. Uh, the rector usually handles that. Uh, but he made a point that when we were doing the, the, the Sunday virtual ones during the, the heat of the lockdown that we brought in some musicians. Well, the truth of the matter was the musicians got all the credit because uh, we, we have Mike and Molly Bettix, uh, a married uh, couple that uh, Mike is our uh, director of liturgy for the diocese and his wife uh, is a Molly is an accomplished singer. And people just fell in love with them. And we it was a great it was a great way uh, in our to have a quantifiable, we often hear you need good music. Like you often say, you need good music to, to get people interested. Well, the, the first three episodes were shot in the Bishop's chapel, basically in his attic. And they were spiritually lovely, but visually and acoustically awful. As soon as we went to the cathedral and we included Mike and Molly, the viewership went up, the, yeah. the, the, the back and forth went up and we turned Mike and Molly into such little stars that uh, we ended up having to do it, not having to, it was our idea. We did a Christmas concert with them where they, they did all the standards and it was, it was wonderful. So, uh, but another example of what ended up being a rather little thing. I mean, we've been doing this stuff for a while now, so we've gotten pretty good at it, but it's just two guys with some some of our own equipment and a few pieces that we've purchased and we've been able to do good things. So to your point, Father Chris, it's like it's there. You just have to make the desire, have to make the decision to do it. And I think that is part of just we as a church have to model excellence. Mm -hmm. And um, because God's people deserve excellence because God provides excellence. You know, we, we, on a day like today, we're filming so spoiled on March the 10th that we have the sun shining. And hopefully when folks are, are listening to this or watching it, as well as the retreat day, spring is fully springing. But like, you know, to see that the daffodils coming through the ground, to see a beautiful sunrise or sunset, uh, to walk on South Jersey's beautiful beaches, that God is so generous in providing us excellence. Right? Yeah. God provides the, the most wonderful for us. Uh, and, and so why would a church not provide that for its people? And why would the people not strive for excellence in their own life of virtue 
uh, with, with the Lord as well. So again, raising the bar is always a wonderful thing. It gives us something that we can all strive to reach. And it keeps Donna and I employed because uh, <laughs> they keep coming back to us and say, Mike, can you do something like this? Do something like that. And Donna is a, Donna is an example of someone who came from the laity. She was, you know, she was, she's only been a diocesan staff member for what, two, two and a half years at this point. Three Donna? now. See, it seems, Three. It seems oh short to you. I'm surprised. Ooh. It should feel much longer. My friend and me. Don't worry. It does. In my soul, it feels much longer. Um, yeah. But the truth of the matter, she was someone who was working in the in the healthcare world and, or the pharmaceutical world and came across our vicar general and they got to know each other a little bit. And he, he saw what she provided. And since she's come on board, we've, we've been creating stuff that I never would have created before. Cause I don't have that. I don't, I don't have that particular nature, but I, ha I know how to put it together. I just don't know where it comes from. So Donna, I mean, I hate to be complimentary, but thank God you're I here. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really hate to be complimentary. Um, you know, one thing I want to talk about a little bit uh, in the last 10 minutes that uh, we have for the podcast was uh, sort of like where you came from, where the two of you sort of came from. So Father Chris, you mentioned, you know, briefly, you went to St. Charles Seminary, but I I'm just curious, you know, what was sort of like your path to the, yeah, the priesthood? Um, grew up, uh, you know, grandparents are immigrants from Ireland and settled in, in, in the ghettos of West Philadelphia, the Irish ghettos. And, uh, my parents, um, you know, were sort of the, the, the Irish kind of divided uh, um, uh, sort of socially. And my parents were kind of the opposite sides of the track. Uh, but through the providence of God, they met. Uh, all of my mom's friends and family said, stay far away from him. But, uh, but praise God, she didn't listen because otherwise I wouldn't be here. But I grew up the fifth of six kids, um, church-going family, but uh, I wouldn't say overly pious. But uh, there was a great pride in our Catholicism, certainly intertwined with, with Irish culture. Um, my parents had lots of friends who were priests and religious and, and were involved in the parish in their own way. Right? So I lived in a parish also growing up. It was small when I was there. It's much larger now out in the suburbs. Uh, but, but it gave people an opportunity to step in. Right? My dad wasn't going to be a coach. My dad wasn't going to be an usher because we got to church late and left early. So ushers wasn't on the list. But when they started a, a lottery, a fundraising lottery, that was my dad's language. And so he was there selling tickets and collecting tickets and calling numbers for years. And it allowed him to get to know people and inserted him into the life of the church. Um, I, I entered the seminary after college. I went to Temple University and worked for a number of years. Um, probably God was calling all the time, but I wasn't willing to listen. Um, and I don't regret it at all because I think the experiences I had in, 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 in my life have, have certainly formed me to who I am and the priest I am. Um, but uh, I've been a priest now 21 years, served uh, in, a, in a parish in Northeast Philadelphia and then taught high school and then uh, back around to, to St. Raymond's now for 12 years. That's great. And Rishar, I know you're, you have sort of a unique perspective on your, your lineage here. Uh, you, uh, on top of everything else, you're a Penn graduate, um, but you're you're a North Jersey girl who ends up in Philadelphia. So what's yeah. what's your backstory? Yeah, so I'm originally from Newark, New Jersey. Went to all public school there. Um, I was uh, raised Pentecostal, and I was probably at church about 40 hours a week. So you can imagine my grades weren't the best because uh, I was spending too much time in scripture. But at some point in high school, um, I came into contact with a Catholic mass. Um, I had a friend who was singing in the cathedral choir at the Basilica. And I went there many times, didn't know what was going on, but kind of like, oh, this is interesting. 
I went to Rutgers to study philosophy um, and history. And then I went to grad school at Penn thinking I was going to get a PhD in history. I was interested in uh, the history of Christianity and um, migration and media, actually. Um, so I spent a ton of time reading about Zimbabwean Pentecostalism and other things. Um, and then um, just uh, ended back up in uh, New Jersey, actually, for a brief time to take care of a parent. And then at that point, uh, I was at this, this crossroads that many people are. Um, I think at that point, you know, I because of graduate school being a place that can be very secular, right, where um, everyone's a relativist, um, there was probably, you know, three Christians in the entire program that had like 70 students. Um, but I knew that apart from Christ, I wasn't going to be the kind of person that I needed to be, right? So deep down inside, I knew that. So I was, I, I went about this process of kind of thinking about, okay, well, there's all these different ways to be Christian. Catholicism seems like the way that is uh, historically rooted. It's, it's the kind of faith tradition where you can be thoughtful and critical and there's so much to contend with and there's this richness of spirituality. And so I um, started hanging out with Catholics and I entered the church actually at through Seton Hall University's campus ministry program. And then, um, and that's been that ever since. And it's just been just so beautiful and great. And the day that I became Catholic, was absolutely the best day of my life. So, well, that is absolutely wonderful to hear. We we always enjoy uh, seeing. I have, my mother was a convert, so uh, that that has always been a, a great deal of uh, joy to me to run into other converts. I also, by the way, very rarely run into fellow history majors. I got my history degree from St. Joe's University, so uh, that's very unusual. We're we're unique in that regard. And of course, if anybody actually sees Father Chris and I together, uh, we are in fact both Walshes. But to the best of my knowledge. Not related in any t way, though, as I'm looking at our faces on the screen here, I am actually mm. remarking just how similar looking we are. So I see we it, may, I see it. We may be just relatives. It. It's a beautiful thing, Michael, beautiful thing. It is, it is. Uh, yeah, my family came over in, uh, from Ireland in 1917, but I've been a mutt ever since then. We, are, yeah. uh, we, we, we interbred or uh, we crossbred quite quickly after we got to the States. So I'm a zillion different things. But, uh, but anyway, so, well, thank you very much. We have about uh, four minutes left to go on our podcast. But Donna, I just wanted to kind of get, let, you, let you take a shot at our last couple of questions. Yeah, I just, um, first, I want to thank Father Chris and Bashar for A, saying yes to the retreat, because I think our diocese is really in for a beautiful three nights, you know, and even if, you know, Lent is not what you had hoped it would be, there's a chance, just come and join us, you know, for those three nights of retreat. But I think um, in terms of what your hopes are for what the Catholic community of South Jersey walks away with, what's your greatest hope for them? I know I was so pleased when, when Father Chris said yes and invited Rashara, you know, for you to come and be a part of it. Cause I hadn't really thought about that. I didn't know you. I knew Father Chris was at St. Raymond's and I knew I was inviting him. And so when he told me about you, the details about you, I was like, what a gift. Thank you, Father Chris. So what's kind of your greatest hope? Maybe Rashar, I'll go to you first. What's your greatest hope for the people who are, who will kind of immerse themselves in this retreat? I think I would want people to walk away knowing that um, Jesus Christ loves them so much. And, and not just that, that that he wants to give them every single thing that they need. And what he has is better than anything the world has to offer. 
So that's what I want them to walk away with. Yeah, that's wonderful because how many people do we meet that have no idea? They don't believe it and they have such a hard time getting there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing for all of us to do as we think about how to be missionary disciples and help people into that space and have that encounter. Mm-hmm. Father Chris? I would say that God believes in you. Uh, I want them to know that, that God believes that each of us can turn away from sin, that God believes that each of us can be faithful no matter where our journey of faith has taken us, how far we've run away, that God will help us back and put people in our life to support us and really believe that the church, whether it's in South Jersey or North Jersey or Philadelphia or Zimbabwe, uh, the church needs you and needs your gifts. And if for some reason you're at a place where you don't feel that's the case, well, come on, we're, we're on the East Coast of America, like drive four miles in another direction and find a community that will use your gifts. Don't walk away, right? Presume the best of those who are ignoring your emails or phone calls or gifts. Maybe they're just in a rough spot. Go to the next place and let your light shine. Thank you both, I really do appreciate it. And I will say to those who are listening who intend to participate, you just need to listen for the reference to a Phillies game and Tonto. <laughs> That's right. You do need to do that. Uh, so, Donna, as we wrap up here with the, the last two minutes, um, what are we doing next? Sorry. What, what are we doing next? We have to retreat. <laughs> no, like when I we mean, get to the Easter season. When, what's, when Easter rolls around, we have to figure out what's up next. So, have you right, there's a meeting about- for that? There's a meeting for that, right? Because, and the one thing that I would say about that is a lot of us have a tendency to think of Easter as a day and Easter is a season all the way to Pentecost. So what are we doing, Mike? I'm sure we'll have some ideas. Yeah, I have a feeling we will. And and actually, you know, I know I, people who listen regularly listen to this podcast know that I kind of hem and haw. I love, I love everything about my job. I love all the different stuff we're able to do. I, I I was recently encouraged to pull back a little bit because we were kind of feeling like we were burning the candle at both ends. And the truth of the matter is I have no desire to do that. There, there are so many stories out there to be told that I want to tell them all. And if I end up burning out doing this, great. Then I burned out for good reason. And I'm going to go be a shepherd someplace else. So it's perfectly fine. I've, I've, I've always wanted to take up painting. It's not a problem. I'll rest later. But, uh, but at any rate, Father Chris, Rashara, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Donna, thank you very much for co-hosting. And to all my listeners, all our listeners, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week.